There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I was about to say Greg Smith. Now Greg's in my head. <laughs> Joining me this week, Greg Smith. Hello, how are you? I am well. Even better after hearing that I've gotten in your head and thrown you off. That, that you are in my head, head, 100%. Well, it's because of the fist pump. I try to look away from you because it makes me laugh every single time you do it. Every time, every time I intro this podcast, when Greg is on, I see him through the Zoom camera. He does the fist pump, and it gets me every single time. I am also joined by Steve Marek, Hill Borsley's newest writer. Steve, hello. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a it's an overcast, um, slightly windy day. Storms coming in, and like in Nebraska right now. So we're gonna see what the afternoon brings. But other than that, I'm ready to go. Let's take a second and talk about our sponsor for the week. Teammates. Teammates is a school-based mentoring program. Mentors and mentees meet in school once a week, and they build a friendship. This is one of those things that before I left Nebraska and before COVID happened, uh, I talked to, to Dr. Tom Osborne, who is a big part of Teammates. It's one of his babies. And he convinced me I wanted to get involved, and then COVID happened and everything else. Uh, in a recent survey, almost 90% of mentees say they are proud to be in Teammates, and I would imagine that almost every mentor would say the same thing. Teammates serves all kids. Any kid in grades three through 12 can be a mentee. Mentors are safe, caring adults. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to be there. And really, nine times out of 10, that's all a kid needs. They just need you to be there, listen to them, maybe play with a Marvel toy, maybe play with Iron Man, just hang out with them, talk to them about what's going on in their life. Sometimes that's all it takes. You don't have to be an expert. Through the pandemic, we have thousands of kids who've had to wait a year or two for a mentor. So don't make them wait any longer. To apply, go to teammates.org, T-E-A-M-M-A-T-E-S.org. Uh, it's Thursday when we're recording this podcast, Thursday afternoon. Hopefully you guys are listening to this before the Fordham game on Saturday. But I guess with this particular podcast, it's not necessarily a prerequisite uh, because as long as it's okay with my guests, I cleared it before with them. It sounds like it is. Okay, with you guys listening at home, we're not going to talk much about Fordham, Nebraska's opponent this week. Um, not because I'm not excited for the game, but I, I just wonder what we're going to find out about this Nebraska football team from this upcoming FCS opponent that's coming to town. Um, so we're going to stick uh, pretty heavily with talking about Illinois and talking about what happened last Saturday. I don't have daily content anymore. I'm not on videos after games. So for me, this is like the first time I've gotten to officially talk to um, some people about what happened last Saturday. I've got some thoughts. I'm sure my guests have some thoughts as well. Um, a couple of housekeeping things before we get started. Follow Steve on Twitter. Go follow him on Twitter. We don't care about Greg. Just make sure you go follow Steve on Twitter. If you're following Greg and you want to do like a one or the other kind of thing, go follow Steve. Choose Steve. <laughs> yeah, it I is agree. Steven with a PH Feven. Now it's S-T-E-V-E <laughs> underscore M-A-R-I-K on Twitter. Go follow Steve. He's going to have football coverage. He's going to have women's basketball coverage later in the season when it gets rolling. Yep. So make sure you go follow him. It's been good stuff so far. And I guess follow Greg too. We'll show him some love. I was, I was going to say, go ahead and follow Steve. That's good. Um, I, I've been trying to hype him up. You guys need to be following him. I can be a good teammate um, <laughs> and let the shine be on others. I have no problem with that. Greg Smith, HV. Greg also has a podcast that you can listen to, the Straight Up Breakdown podcast. Find that wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to it. Leave him a five-star review. He likes to say that if you leave anything but a five-star, he is inclined to think you are a hater. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love it. 
That's his his little tagline that he signs off with at the end of the podcast. Go listen to it. It's really good. We also have other podcasts that you can subscribe to as a proud part of the Herd App Media Network. Obviously, this one that you're listening to, leave me a review if you haven't already. I really appreciate it. And then go subscribe to the IID Preview Podcast with Brandon Vogel and the Mind Your Own Podcast with Aaron Sorensen and Sasha Durkin. Shouts to Cam for producing this week and every week. And to all of you guys for listening at home. I really appreciate it. Guys, Osaka, Illinois, there are a number of different ways we can go with this conversation. I, I assume it's, it's going to be a, a long conversation. It could be a long conversation. It could be an even longer. We could sit here all day and talk about them if we wanted to. Um, I think I want to start here. So I put out a, about a week and a half ago, week zero Big Ten power rankings. And I had Illinois fans just absolutely indignant in my mentions at the notion that they could be placed last in a power ranking before the season, not, not, no, no power ranking. So it's not a preseason prediction. It's not, this is, I think Illinois is going to be the worst team in the conference for the entire season. It was where you at right now. I had Nebraska number eight, which as we found out was probably too high. I had Illinois number 14, which I don't think was too low personally. And after watching the game, like, I mean, I'm going to have to move them above Nebraska because that's what happened. Illinois now beaten Nebraska two years in a row, and they probably could have won three years ago when the game was 42 to 38 at their place. Um, but I, if that Vegas put the win total at three and a half for that team, and if Art Sikowski is the quarterback all year long, maybe four, maybe I can see four. Um, Illinois didn't look like a good football team necessarily. They were on their backup quarterback, of course. But I think the bigger story was that Nebraska didn't look like a good football team either. And like, it was the first game of the college football season. The first points of the new college football season was a safety that also included an illegal forward pass. It was incredible. There are like, you, if you're watching on NFL Sundays and you get a bad NFL game, you're like, I just don't, I just don't, I don't want to, I don't want to. And you switch to something else. If you're watching a college football Saturday and you get a bad college football game, like bad college football games are the best. It's the best. This game had absolutely everything. It had a safety. It had an illegal forward pass. It had a coach not knowing what down it was. It had penalties and penalties and penalties. It had a team trying to overcome a 21-point deficit. It had a team trailing by two scores, take a like a seven-minute fourth-quarter drive that took 16 plays to score. It had two missed field, uh, PATs from the reigning Big Ten kicker of the year. Incredible. I was watching with my father-in-law who bet uh, – um, on 52 and a half, he, he took the over at 52 and a half. And it ended, as everyone knows, at 52 <laughs> with the rating Big Ten kicker of the year missing two PATs. When I told him that that man was the reigning Big Ten kicker of the year, he thought I was just BSing him. He thought I was just trying to rub salt in the wound. He did not believe me that that had happened. And then his reaction when I was like, nope, that's actually true. That's a fact. It was incredible. Um, anyway, so Nebraska. Did not look like a good football team, which is problematic for a team in its fourth year under uh, Scott Frost. Some of the reaction to this game has been, well, I think it's now time to consider the fact that maybe Scott Frost isn't the guy. Um, Some of the reaction to this game from national people was immediately, well, this is it for Scott Frost. This is the last season. Um, Guys, let's start. To, to say Nebraska is a bad football team right now after week one, to say that Scott Frost, barring something drastic, is probably not going to be around much longer. Is that an overreaction to week one? Because it was week one. Like we all know teams get better week one to week two. Week one is usually really, really tough. It usually looks sloppy. It doesn't look good. So, Has this been an overreaction to what happened or no? I would say it is not an overreaction to what happened, largely because of the way that it ended up happening. Because there was so so much talk in the offseason about the team being the best team that Scott Frost ever had, about all of the improvement, all of how the competition that each position increased um, the focus and the level and raised the level of play. Um, 
and then to the for the game to unfold like that in which you could have basically if you, if you if i had told you that that was purdue from two years ago you would have but you know what i mean like you would have believed me it was the same old story as scott frost said but that was really the one thing that he could not have happen it was the way that that game unfolded because now we are sitting here we recorded this on thursday it's september 2nd and it feels like all hope is lost for the program whether or not that's true because there are still 11 games left technically are is a total is a kind of a different discussion that we'll get into but the that feeling creeping in after game one really tells me that it's not an overreaction. Fortunately for Frost, like this is the reality of where we are right now. Yeah, uh, Greg, I, I agree with everything that you said. Um, they had such, Nebraska had such a great opportunity in front of it with this game, going in with um, Frost's best, best team on paper, at least, um, going in against an Illinois team with the first-year head coach, and first year staff there, they had such a great opportunity and they blew it. Um, they blew it the way that they've blown games so many times in the, in the past with just these mental errors. Um, and for that to happen in Scott Frost's season opening game in his fourth year, I mean, it's not an overreaction. I mean, fans, fans are right to, to want more than they're getting right now and the ex- expectations and everything fans are completely right in reacting how they are and, and this fan base. And I, you know, like you said, Greg, everything that you said was kind of spot on for me. There's just no momentum right now. There's, there's really no momentum. I know it's a long season and you can still get to six wins. You can, you can find four wins there um, after, after the uh, um, Fordham and Buffalo um, games that you would like to see them um, take care of business in. Um, but just right now, there's there's no momentum, and for a fourth year head coach um, losing like he did, um, that's that's just that's that's tough. Yeah, Frost is now one and one and three to open the season, I believe, in his Nebraska tenure, with the one win coming against South Alabama. Um, now, year one they had Akron at home that got canceled, and they played yeah. Colorado. It's a little bit different. Just, I mean, you can talk about context with all of these. They played Ohio State to open last season. Um, but one and three, when you're talking about a team that needs momentum going forward to be able to stack wins and good things together, the biggest problem with this offense and, and special teams too, is they can't stack anything. They can't stack good plays on top of good plays. They can't stack good drives on top of good drives. They have a 28 yard completion to Oliver Martin to pick up a long first down and then they get called for a holding penalty, and then they get a sack where the offensive line looks like it doesn't know what it's supposed to be doing. Um, I, I think the most damning thing that you can say, and, and I'm going to keep this entire conversation fixated on the offense because I thought the defense played a really good first half, uh, and then they just sort of buckled because they didn't get help, and we've seen that movie time and time again with Nebraska. A lot of times. Um, yeah. The most damning thing that you can say about Nebraska right now under Scott Frost, particularly offensively, is that – in Brett Bielema's first game as a head coach since 2017, his team looked like it had more of an offensive identity with a yeah. backup quarterback than Scott Frost's offense did in year four with a four-year starter at quarterback. I mean, it's, it's remarkable that we're here. It, it, it is. And, I, and something that kind of occurred to me yesterday that fits along perfectly with what you're saying we think about the offense and kind of, I, I guess, what we could term an evolution of the offense of Frost at Nebraska. Like, there's been even some changes within what we've seen. For example, what happened to the Duck R position? Like, who is, like, if you were to say right now, today on this current team, like, who is, who is at that position? So, and because the reason I bring that up is because they remember when the staff first arrived and how much we heard about that position and how important and integral it was to what they were doing on offense, because they could do all sorts of things with that person that was like a hybrid running back wide receiver that could play in the slot, but also run some jet motions could also motion in the backfield, all of those things, not to get too into the weeds there. Um, but all of that stuff is now a part of the offense that is just gone. 
And so I think that something like that speaks to the lack of an identity on offense, because now we're in a way seeing a different offense than what we were originally told about when the, when the staff first arrived. Like it, it's kind of bizarre to Derek's point that like, like how are, it's surprising to be at this point on offense. Would that player not be Alante Brown with this current that, set of skill guys? That's what I was going to guess. Yeah. Or Will Nixon. Yeah. One of, and, one of those and, two. and neither of those guys saw the field. Um, right. Yeah. There's, one of the things that that I'm I'm most interested in, and, and one of the things that is, if this thing goes sideways, no, there's 11 games left. There's a long season left. But if this thing goes sideways, one of the things that I think will be, um, one of the most talked about, sort of parts of of this era for Nebraska football, is there just seems to be a disconnect between what Scott Frost sees on the practice field, what he says to the media. And then what everyone sees on Saturdays. And I don't know why that disconnect exists. I don't know where that disconnect comes from. I don't know how to fix that, but there's a disconnect there. Xavier Betts and Sabian Morrison had tremendous summers and fall camps to put themselves in a position to play. And then neither plays on football Saturday to open the season because they didn't have a good week of practice leading up to it, I guess. And like the, the, I, when I, think about that like ai pops into my head practice not a game not a game practice <laughs> sometimes like i feel like i don't necessarily buy into the gamer thing like guys are just gamers and they're not really going to bring it in practice but sometimes like if a guy's had a really good fall camp and a really good summer like if he has a couple of inconsistent days the week leading up to the game like just give him a couple snaps and see what he gets Savion morrison didn't play and and to a lesser degree, Marquis Stepp didn't play. When he was on the field, he scored a touchdown and caught a 30-yard wheel route, and then he didn't play. There's a lot of Gabe Irvin, um, which, I mean, like, Gabe Irvin showed some stuff. Yeah. But, but that, that, to me, is, is, a, is something worth monitoring as we move through the rest of the season. It's just – there just seems to be a disconnect there. Now, one of the things that was a that was a major, major issue for Nebraska in the first half, we heard all offseason long about this recommitment to a downhill rushing attack, this recommitment to a ground game being physical at the point of attack. Nebraska's offensive line looks like, like the offensive lines of old. Um, they've got a good stable of running backs. And then I, so I went through a chart. I've got the numbers for you guys. Thirty four first half snaps. And th the game is it. You should theoretically be able to do everything that you would want to do in the first half. It was nine, two, then it was nine, nine. It was 16, nine. It's, it's plenty close enough to do what you want to do. Evidence by the, the last drive when they were down 14, they were running the ball or the second to last drive. Uh, 15 of the 34 first half snaps were called run plays. They averaged 3.8 yards per carry on those plays. Now, I don't know how much, Travis Vokalek not being out there changed things for them. If they went through all of fall camp thinking they were going to have these two tight ends that were on the field um, for the, the lion's share of snaps. And then all of a sudden one of those tight ends is gone. And maybe you have to change blocking assignments scheme a little bit. Maybe you have to change that a little bit. I don't know how much that played into it, but 15 called runs and 34 first half snaps, 3.8 yards per carry. That includes Adrian Martinez. I, I took scrambles out. This is just, called run plays you are running the ball it's a point eight yards per carry from this that is not a recommitment to a downhill rushing attack did this surprise you steve we'll start with you yeah i mean it did it was the exact opposite of what everybody was talking about you know in the summer and the fall um so i guess what what i'm kind of wondering about it with with frost offense i know it was heavy rpo at U ucf right and is it continuing to be so all of these pass plays that are being called is Adrian reading a guy. And if, if he's crashing towards the line of scrimmage, is he pulling it and then wanting to throw it? And then that could potentially turn into a scramble as well. Is it just so RPO heavy still that defenses are just keying, keying on um, the run anyway, which is just forcing Adrian to pull it and, now we get now we get a pass play 
is it um, Derek, I guess what, like, what do you, what do you um, think about that um, with, with Frost offense and the RPOs? Is it still maybe so RPO heavy that he's pulling it a lot and, and we're getting all these pass plays? Yeah. I think part of the problem is that Illinois had no respect for Nebraska's pass. Exactly. Play. Yes. And that's, what's going to happen as we move forward. Um, because, you know, th- they had a couple of nice completions to Oliver Martin. They had a couple of completions, but if, if Nebraska's offensive line is going to continue to have issues protecting the quarterback and pass protection, um, those pass plays aren't going to be there with any kind of consistency. Mm-hmm. Teams are just going to say, okay, we're just going to play the run. You can't, you're not going to be able to run the ball on us. We're going to make you throw it. And you're going to get Adrian missing white lever in the back of the end zone. And you're, I mean, he missed to his left a ton. And I don't know what the problem was there, but he missed throwing to his left a ton. And other defensive coordinators are going to look at that and say, okay, we're just going to do the exact same thing Illinois did. So like there is now this problem that has compounded because the offensive line didn't play a great game. Mm -hmm. We still have questions at running back. And now defenses basically have the formula to say, all right, we're just going to do this. Load the box and play a man defense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Greg thoughts, which has been the, the the book on them really for the last like three seasons (laughs) Right, which is uh, the the and this it's so it's weird because this is what happened in this game is a microcosm of what's been happening overall in the Frost era and is really the fear moving forward because as we talk about the run game and the struggles to get that going, what makes that harder? Teams loading up the box on you to really just say we don't respect the pass game and oh by the way, even if you hit us for a couple of passes, we know you're not going to do it consistently. Or we know that eventually maybe your quarterback starts misfiring or there's some sort of bad play, which is what Illinois was really banking on too. And the other problem with this, and not to go immediately to the big picture, but (laughs) the Illinois defense was not good last year. Like we can allow for the fact that they could get better. Like they could have gotten better under Brett Bielema, even though Levy Smith was a defensive coach, but Nebraska made Illinois' defense look a lot better than I think they're actually going to be. No disrespect to those angry Illini fans that are, that were all camped out in Derek's mentions about those power rings, but that's kind of like, they're not going to be, in my opinion, a good defense at the end of the year, but you know, who is going to be a good defense at the end of the year, a whole bunch of teams that Nebraska still has to play. Um, in this conference slate especially like that's the thing that's concerning is that if Nebraska had that type of rushing performance against Illinois what's going to happen when you know it's Wisconsin and Iowa State and or Iowa State Iowa and Michigan State Ohio State and Oklahoma we know kind of how that's going to go but some of those other teams like it's just going to be really tough sledding um, for Nebraska moving forward and I'm not sure the best way for them to get that fixed beyond saying, Hey, the offensive line just needs to start firing on all cylinders and moving people. Like, I don't know what the answer for that is. Yeah. I mean, I'm not convinced Illinois is going to have even a a decent defense. I mean, watching through the game broadcast, um, Brock Heward kept making comments about Nebraska's receivers, not being able to get open. I disagreed. I thought they were, I thought there were times they were able to get open. There were times they were able to create separation schematically. Brett, go ahead, Steve. Um, well, I was just going to Derek, ask you, ask you what you thought about Brett Malima's comments after the game. Um, and he basically said the only one that scared us was number two. So Adrian, so that like out of all the skill positions that Nebraska has um, the receivers that goes along with like maybe playing the ones who don't scare anybody. Right. Um, yeah. and, and it goes along to, you know, could Xavier Betts be potentially be a guy that could scare big 10 defenses. I mean, we just don't know because he's not out there. Why is he not out there? That goes with the practice. Cause he's not practicing well enough. Is he not showing up on time? What's what's going up? What's going on there? You know, yeah. but that, but Belima saying that just speaks volumes to me where, yeah, the only, the only one that we were scared about is, is number two. That well, that's just, what, that's what everyone has been saying about Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Everyone outside of, of the state of Nebraska this offseason has been saying, well, where's the skill position talent? It's just not there. That's what everyone has been saying. And, it, you know, you get the complete opposite from Frost where he says this is the best skill position talent that we've, we've ever had. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, you know, I wrote a column about this in the preseason. It's hard to square those two things. So are we banking more on optimism and, and 
um, potential or are we talking about, you know, actual concrete, like these guys are good and they scare defensive coordinators. And after one test, we know our answer. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder if, if part of it, you know, Smory Torre feels just criminally underrated to me, just based on what he produced at the FCS level, seems pretty overlooked. Um, but, you know, if Nebraska is not going to be able to, to get the football to him, I mean, Frost said it multiple times this offseason. He said that the ball finds the slot receiver in this offense, and that's why they put Samori there. He gets three catches for 37 yards on six targets. Oliver Martin had a, a really good game and, and showed yeah. showcased his athleticism and, and his ability. Um, but, you know, I, I think they want to try to find Samori a little bit more. Um, and, and so, like, th- this is a good segue into sort of – bigger picture conversation that's happening right now with Nebraska. What was the bigger issue against Illinois? Was it coaching or was it execution on the player's part? Because you can look through offensively what they did. You can go back through the tape and you can find, you know, people are laughing at Nebraska for having to run so many rub routes and crossing patterns to try to like, basically like receivers were getting open because the defensive backs were taking out umpires. Like that's, that's a joke, but like schematically Nebraska was finding guys open they were getting guys into into good spots and in some instances um and sometimes adrian missed throws sometimes the offensive line was bad a lot of times the offensive the the offensive line had a bad game um so which is which is the bigger issue a lack of execution or is it the fact that we continue to have a lack of execution does it then become a coaching issue that is a coaching issue in my opinion um that is something that and it, and it also, it's so funny, all of this stuff really plays off of each other. This goes back to yeah. the, the practice thing that we were talking about just a second ago, right? So if um, Xavier Betts, Solante Brown, Sevian Morrison, insert young, exciting skill position player here, it doesn't matter, can't get onto the field because they didn't practice well, but we're in year four, and this has happened every year that these coaches have been here, at some point that becomes a coaching issue. At some point you have to, as a coach, be able to either figure out how to get through to your players that you brought to the football team to get them to practice better, or you have to figure out a way to tailor practice in a way to get them to, to reach their potential so that they can get out there for games because you need them. Otherwise you've seen what's happened, especially what opposing defenses do to you. Right. And well, you've so, also seen those guys leave. Those yeah, guys, they don't have a single receiver that, from the 2019 yeah. class. Cause those guys have left. There's, those guys there's are all too. leaving. Yeah. Like if you're in a situation where you continue to say, well, you have to practice better. Well, you have to practice better. You're not getting on the field. Every single, like all of these receivers have left them. And that's, that also speaks to something else related to that, which is do the players themselves understand what it is that's being asked of them? Do they know when, when Scott Frost and Matt Lubick stand up there and say they've got to practice better, but they leave it at that for us, which I understand why they do that. But do the players understand clearly what it is that they're supposed to be doing it? If I do X, Y, and Z Monday through Thursday, really, um, that's going to yield a certain result for me when it comes to playing time and in the game plan and opportunities. Do they know that or is it kind of ambiguous? And then they really just think that they want to play specific guys anyway, right? Like that, because it can't be this many guys that have left that room specifically without thinking okay something is not connecting whether or not it's actually real like something weird is happening um with that and so i think that the other way that coaching is really was really the issue um versus execution is just i feel like the way that all of the stuff presented itself with we had to throw our half of our game plan out because they played a different front um than we anticipated or we guessed anticipated is not even the word to use he said guess did what I immediately thought about after, right after thinking, oh my God, he should have said that. The second thing I thought of was, did the coaching staff panic in that moment? When they figured that out in the game, did they panic when they figured out that they had to do something different and did that trickle down to the players? To me, again, that's coaching. That's something that I feel like we've seen this coaching staff not adjust well in a variety of ways. And I think that that's a realistic leap to make that they had a moment of panic that trickled down to the players, which again is coaching. And you can fine tune it a little bit more and say, did Scott Frost panic? Because he said he assumed play calling duties. 
Um, it was supposed to be Lubick and him working collaboratively on play calling. Um, if that has changed, there there is a level of perhaps micromanaging being done by the head coach. And so you wonder if, well, did Frost panic? And then that led to everything else. That would be a, another issue. So um, I'm not I, real quick, but I want to go on that real quick. Sorry, Derek. Uh, on that point about the play calling, I'm not crazy, right? It, he did make it seem over the offseason, I think it was in January, that Lubick was going to continue calling plays, right? Like, yeah, yeah, when he the met with the he newspapers, had, he he yeah. made a point of telling the newspapers that that they were collaborative, that Lubick was with him, and that Lubick was going to continue to do that. Yeah, yeah, if you had listened to Frost, only listened to Frost on Monday, you would have thought that we just all made that up. Like the way that he responded to that um, was really interesting in the way that happened. I, I actually was going to ask Matt Lubick the follow-up question about that, about what that actually looks like. Um, and he was very diplomatic about it. I just found it interesting that he, I mean, he obviously wanted to kind of tiptoe around the like actual play calling responsibilities part of it. But I just find that whole thing interesting because Frost act like we made that up. It is interesting that he wanted to tiptoe around that too. Um, Steve, you were going to say something. Austin Allen even spoke um, at Big Ten Media Days about um, Lubick's kind of influence on on the routes, the, the um, how how like the play calling and everything. And so I I found that interesting over the summer when they were there. Um, but Austin Allen seemed very complimentary of of Matt Lubick and what he brings to the offense. And I think there was a couple even quotes um, that came out with him saying that he hoped more influence would come with, with Lubick. So yeah, very interesting stuff. Yeah. And that was kind of the same tone in the spring when they were talking about sort of adjusting um, progressions and, and past patterns and things like that. Um, question for, for the two of you who are around fall camp um, more closely than I was one of the, the things that, um, Greg Austin in particular, but offensive coaches in the spring made a point of bringing up was that they had sort of altered their, their practicing to allow for more time in between plays to address mistakes, to address fixes and, and tune-ups. Um, whereas before, the way that practices were originally designed to run under Frost, I believe this is the way that he did it at UCF and the way they did it for the first couple of years here at Nebraska, was that they don't stop in between plays to fix mistakes. If there's something that needs correcting that gets corrected after practice in the film room, they don't, they don't use practice time to correct things at practice. Did, did that continue to be the case in fall camp? Were they continuing to slow it down a little bit to correct mistakes in fall camp? Do we know the answer to that question or were they back to the um, balls to the wall, full speed, no corrections until the film room. Do we know the answer to that question? We do not know the answer to that question from players or coaches um, at press conferences. I would say that, it, that Nebraska continued to not correct mistakes um, in practice. Like that's always so was, the sense that I've got. I was listening to uh, Dr. Rob's podcast and he brought up when he was playing for Osborne, Osborne had a thing where even if you felt like you did your job, if there was one tiny mistake, run it again, run it again, run it again. And he's like, those were Osborne's three favorite words, run it again, run it again. And so there's this like competing philosophy here, which is interesting to me. Now, I don't know if that's the issue. I don't know if, if that's what's causing players to, um, look talented and and look like they could be potential contributors to us when they come in and then they, they don't quote unquote don't practice well and they can never see the field i don't know if that's leading to that because there's not enough um correction being done in practice i guess i don't know if that's an issue um but when i was listening to that podcast that was something that came up and like this is this is the biggest problem <laughs> like we're all sitting here trying to figure out what is going on in year four that continues to, to, to cause this stuff to happen. And people are testy right now. Um, I think people, a lot of people were expecting the sellout streak to end this upcoming week. Now credit to um, 
Nebraska and to a couple of boosters that stepped up and, and created this program for kids to be able to go see the game. Um, we could get into a debate about lowering ticket prices for football games across the board so that more people can go to them because ticket prices are ridiculous. Um, but uh, Nebraska will have a sellout. We don't know how many people will be there, but Nebraska will play another game. The season's not over. They've got a chance to perhaps steady the ship, calm the waters, maybe. How do you guys feel about what Fordham can provide for Nebraska? Can anything be done this Saturday that that will make you feel a little bit better about where Nebraska's at, that will make you take a deep breath and, and calm the waters a little bit? Or do you think, given the opponent, we're just going to have to wait until we get to Buffalo and Oklahoma? So I think that, so I was thinking about this question, Derek, and I came up with, with this answer. I think that it needs to be a boring game. And what I mean by that is I think Nebraska needs to show up, do its job, not be embarrassed in any way like it has in the past and win just by, with a lopsided score and do its job. You know what I mean? Just so everybody can just say that they went, they came to this game against Fordham and beat them soundly and they're all, they're on to Buffalo. That's, that's what I think needs to happen. Just have it be a boring game. No terrible mistakes that get made fun of on Twitter after the game, no fumbles for 43 yard touch scoop and score touchdowns, just a boring game, a lopsided win for Nebraska. I think if that happens, everybody, like you said, Derek can take a breath and they're on to Buffalo. So let me go back. Let me, let me ask you a quick clarifying question. Back in 2019, Nebraska had South Alabama and Northern Illinois on the non-conference schedule. They beat South Alabama to open the season 35 to 21. They beat Northern Illinois 44 to eight. When you say boring, lopsided, does it need mm-hmm. to be Northern Illinois? Or if we get a 35 to 21 score, do you think that will still yeah, do not- the job? Not South Alabama. I want. I want. I want this to because I remember that South Alabama game. Like they won, but there was a lot of problems. There was a lot of like head scratching moments. Like, okay, when when are we going to turn this on here? Why are they hanging around so so tightly? Um, be, have it be like the Northern Illinois. Is that Northern Illinois game? Is that when they threw just sideline to sideline pass? Like I I remember that game. I think they whoever the quarterback was, he was just throwing pass after pass after pass to the sideline. And just like they were moving the offense that way. But yeah, like, like I said, just have it be a boring game. Um, when, when beat Fordham 40, whatever, 40, 42 to 17, however, maybe um, just get in there and get out and just not do anything embarrassing, I guess, just clean up the mistakes. Yeah. Possible. That's- that South Alabama game had a pick six from Eric Lee in it, um, in a in a fumble return for a touchdown for from uh, Alex Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, in the uh, the Northern Illinois game, Adrian Martinez threw for 257 yards and two touchdowns. Dedrick Mills had 118 yards rushing. Maurice Washington had 66 yards rushing on four carries for a touchdown. Um, Do you know how many pass att- pass attempts that Northern Illinois quarterback had? 44. <laughs> yeah. Ross Bowers threw it 44 times. Ross Bowers, the California transfer. I remember yep. that. Greg, can anything be done this weekend? Are you with Steve? Or do you think that this game is basically just like you're not going to help yourself at all? Just don't hurt yourself. Um, for the most part, you just don't need to hurt yourself. Um, but to me, the game that this needs to be like is the Bethune Cookman game um from the season prior to the one you guys are talking about it has to be like that where you have no doubt after at halftime where this thing is heading and that the game is in hand um and hopefully at some point in the second quarter you can start to get the backup quarterback in i it's going it, it, i don't think that in the big big picture wise i don't think the brass is going to really gain anything from this like you're not going to come out of this with people saying oh yeah i feel better about the season but to me, you've really got to take a, a step or two, a step in the right direction. And like, I agree with Steve a lot there about just playing a clean football game, um, not have anything goofy happen, which has been kind of a calling card of the program, like just not having something weird happen. Don't invent a new penalty or a new like funny thing that happens that we see memed on Twitter. Like it's just wild how often that happens. 
Um, and so, yeah, but I think to me, uh, outside of not being embarrassing, obviously not, obviously winning the game, get the backup quarterbacks in the game. Like this is a game where you have to be able to get those guys some live reps um, between Harburg and Smothers to be able to have them out there um, and against an actual opponent that's not in practice. Yeah, if they can't score 50 points, then um, I'm, but, I'm but, not feeling good about this offense. But the thing is, in none of the – did they score 50 in any of any of the games that we're talking about? No, they scored 45 against Bethune Cookman and they scored 44 against Northern Illinois. Those are different situations. They they need to score 50. This is an offense that that looks like it's stuck in mud. This is an offense that looks like it's going in the wrong direction. If Frost has the opportunity to put 50 on the board, I think it would be incredibly beneficial for him to just keep his foot on the gas. I yeah, I understand see it. Yeah. I understand yeah. needing to get Logan Smothers and Heinrich Harburg some in-game reps, but they need to have a huge offensive performance in this game. Otherwise, people are just going to be, well, okay, what's going to happen next week? What's going to happen when they play Oklahoma? Because that's the big thing in my mind. What's going to happen when this offense goes to play Oklahoma? That, that's a good Oklahoma defense, yep. but that Oklahoma offense could put 70 on anyone. And so right. if you're Even Nebraska, teams that, like teams that are good, like yeah. and are having an off day, like they could hang, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. So like for me, I'm like, if they're not, if they don't put 50 on Fordham, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a little worried moving forward. Now I'm already worried, but if they don't put, I'm going to be a little more worried. Also, I think there's something to be said, um, as we were talking about this for um, putting some good film together to where when they go, when the team goes in, they go on Sundays, right, to watch film and lift. Like when they go and do that, for the coaches to be able to say, just to pick someone, hey, JoJo, because it wouldn't probably be him, but hey, JoJo, here's something that if you just stick with us and you keep listening to what we're saying, this is what can happen for you. And this is a big play that you made because we actually stuck to our habits and played within ourselves, all of that stuff. I think being able to have multiple of those examples to be able to actually show on film from a game, I think would be at least a little bit of a building block of confidence too, which obviously is something that the team needs. Yeah. And there's been a lot of talk about like, we need to find a break. We need to find some like momentum. We need to find this or that, or get this or get that. Yeah. Scott used the spark. Yeah. A lot of times good teams make their own breaks. Good teams make their own luck. Good teams create their own momentum by doing little things right and stacking those little things together so that you can, you can create positives for yourself. Like for me, like, I just want to see them, just keep your foot on the gas. Don't get conservative in the second half. Don't be like, well, we don't want to get guys hurt. We want to uh, we want to cycle guys in and out. No. This is this is your opportunity. You wanted this game here in the middle of the season. Most of the time, teams that play week zero get a week one bye. Nebraska wanted this game here. They wanted a home game. They wanted to play another game after week zero so that they could have that improvement. So this is their opportunity, I feel like, to go out and sort of create your own momentum. You're going to have a home crowd. It's going to be a sellout. Fans are going to be back in the stands, regardless of how many people are there. It's going to be a great atmosphere just because of fans not being able to be there last year. Use that to your advantage and give yourself some positive vibes moving forward. Is this a game where you think after, like considering how how the offensive line performed with the run blocking and the pass in the pass blocking, is this a game where you want, Nebraska to really focus on the handoff run game and get that yes. going and maybe like try yes. to just make a goal over 200 yards rushing on four. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I would, man, I would love to hear that. That would actually be something to like, that would have kind of caught my ear if they had said that this yeah. week, we have a goal to hit 200 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. I think that if that, if we hear that after the game that we had that goal, I think that that would be kind of encouraging because it's something that they need to, as Derek just said, create their own momentum and spark um, Mm -hmm. to be able to get to that. Saying that stuff out loud, I think is okay, especially in sports. Like they need to be doing that. Shout out the sloganeering. Yeah. And I I mean, you, they probably, you wouldn't say that before the game just because you don't want to give a team bulletin board material, but you're playing an FCS opponent. You're a big 10 offensive line that for the last few years has made a point of getting huge athletic dudes with length. You are bigger than them. You are faster than them you are more athletic than them, you need to lean on them. So make it a goal of 
figuring out those two or three pet run plays that you can go back to and just continue to hammer it. So yeah, I'm with both yeah. of you. And I think generally, I, I can't remember where, where I heard this, but that's the biggest difference between FCS and, and maybe Power 5 football is in the trenches, right? The offensive yep. line, the defensive line, that's where the biggest difference is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 200 yards and getting the crowd just to see it, to see it happening, like you were mentioning, just to see it happen, just so you know it's possible with Frost in this offense. Yeah, I think that would be a very, very good place to start. Yeah. One positive to end it on a positive note. One one thing that that Nebraska can certainly take away from Illinois, um, the pass rush looked good. Mm-hmm. Did it you did see Did you see Caleb Tanner deplete his offensive tackle in what turned into a Feldarius Payne sack? Yes, yes. I also <laughs> saw um, Caleb Tanner get just a remarkable sack that led to an interception that should have stood. Yes, yes. Yeah. What do you think of those two uh, penalties? Because we talked to. Um, outside linebackers coach Mike Dawson and he said that he would have called both of those flags himself after watching them on film um, just what are your thoughts on those two he's just being tough on his guy the taunting <laughs> thing the taunting thing I can I don't I don't like taunting penalties in football it's an emotional game I, but that but it's there so you have to call it if you see it I can't really argue with that one but the roughing the passer penalty was garbage I mean I I don't like it. No, no, I didn't. I didn't like it at all. I mean, he has to say that, but I'm with you. Like, uh, sure. And and Shenander had a really good explanation for how you have to kind of help to coach that out of guys. And that's really a thing where, you know, it's a selfless play to be, to not do those things. And if you want to continue to play football at the next level and all of that stuff, you need to continue to work on, you know, getting that stuff out of your game because refs are paying attention to it. And I totally understand that. But on the other hand, man, that was weak. They said, yeah, yeah, they, they said the right things that coaches need to say after the fact, but with particularly roughing the passer in the NFL, we're making it so difficult for defenders to tackle. We're making it such a, such a thinking process for defenders to try and tackle. Like I, I understand the safety component having targeting in college and not having targeting in the NFL maybe is a way that you can, you can tweak that. I don't know why you would have it in one, but not the other. Um, But like they need to sort of, and it's hard because sometimes it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube, but like I, we've just made it very difficult for defenders to tackle properly in a way that's not going to draw a flag and guys are faster. Guys are bigger. Guys are stronger. The game moves at a faster pace than it ever has. It's just, it's hard for those guys. I feel for those guys. It's hard sometimes. And that was, that was absolutely a game changing play. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, guys, I'll let you get, one thing I wanted to add to that was um, during Eric Schneider's media availability, he mentioned a lot of those pressures and sacks that, that Nebraska's front got was on four. They didn't have to do anything, any fancy blitzing from, from the linebacker depth. It was just those two, two D tackles, two outside linebackers, and they just went and, and got to the quarterback, got to the house with four. So I thought that was kind of a, a good thing for him to say and interesting thing too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Garrett Nelson looked better. Um, Feldarius Payne looked really good. I know he was a guy that, that Greg Smith was really high on. Um, I don't know why I just said your last name. I've been talking to you for like an hour. Um, he's a guy that Greg was really high on, uh, as Greg fist pumps when I bring up his name. Um, they got, they, an okay first showing the, uh, first drive to start the third quarter was, was problematic. Um, but Nebraska's defense too often right now is asked to play a perfect game, which you're just not going to get from this style. Um, but you know, can I ask I, I thought, a, can I ask another question? Yeah, of course. Okay. So this is going to be your podcast after <laughs> no. too long. If you keep asking questions, No, I like I, it. I, I like I'm it. actually curious in both of your guys' answers. So, uh, was it, was it the start of the third quarter where they kept going left, um, with the runs Illinois, or was that in the first half towards the end where it was just like run to the left, run to the left, run to the left. And I think it was, I wanted to ask you how you guys thought Quentin Newsom did held up in that run game because i thought he did pretty well yeah i thought he i thought he did all right considering the the circumstances first yeah. first game as a starter and all that 
I think yeah. the big thing, the big thing for him, and I think that a lot of what I think his teammates and coaches wanted to see was just that he was a willing tackler. Yes. <laughs> just be willing. Cause that's part of it at cornerback, especially when, if, when guys were flying to the ball, they were the way they were for Nebraska, you've got help coming. So just, you just have to be willing to throw your nose, throw your uh, shoulder in there and say, I'll, I'll, I'll throw my body around and see what happens. And I know I've got guys coming along. So I think that he was fine. Yep. It, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have many issues with anything defensively, really. I mean, Illinois was ten seconds shy of a, a ten-minute time of possession advantage, and that's going to wear on a defense, particularly in Big Ten play, particularly when you're playing Brett Bielema, who um, <laughs> had had a very Bielema-esque game plan for Nebraska. Even when Sikowski came in, he looked like uh, one of those Wisconsin quarterbacks, Joel Stavi. <laughs> wow alex, i got a chill through my body right <laughs> alex hornybrook looked like a looked like a, a belama quarterback burt and the, and those jet sweeps made an appearance yep so um all right well i'll let you guys back get back to your day thank you for uh for coming on the podcast appreciate both of you thank you so much for having us thank you like i said in the intro follow steve on twitter also follow greg on twitter because we love greg subscribe to greg's podcast uh, right at the Hill Varsity Editors to try to get Steve his own podcast so that he stops trying to take mine with all these questions in here. Questions um, with Steve. No, no, I love it. Uh, <laughs> shouts to Cam for producing this and to you guys for listening. Go on and, and uh, leave a five-star review. If you leave anything other than a five-star review, I will find you and I will spam message clips of the yeah. Scott's Tots episode from The Office straight to your inbox. It has happened. It has already happened. So don't be the next person because nobody wants that. And one more time for our sponsor, don't forget about Teammates Mentoring Program for kids, any kid, grades 3 through 12. To apply, go to teammates.org, T-E-A-M-M-A-T-E-S.org. All you have to do is be there. It's not that hard. Sign up. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. Hoda Media Production.